The following podcast uses language that would be ill-advised in a legal brief. Hello and welcome to episode 281 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Stateline, Nevada. I'm Nathan Fox. With me in Vienna, Virginia is Ben Olson. Ben, we have a new president of the United States. I know. It's crazy. It's a good feeling, I have to say. It is a good feeling. And it's weird because I, I didn't particularly like Biden. I wouldn't have voted for Biden if I had my druthers. But um, the fact that he's appointing people to do various jobs and kind of going through the motions that I would expect a president to go through is surprisingly uh, more reassuring than I thought. (laughs) Absolutely. I'm like, oh, someone's just like doing the job. Like we have enough problems as it is (laughs) without trying to like foment problems, right? If I don't even know the right use of that word, but it's like, okay, let's just get people who, you know, you may disagree with their policy. I don't know. I I don't even know a lot of these people's policies, but the fact that they seem competent and just trying to do the job as it's supposed to be done is reassuring. I couldn't agree more. The fact that it seems like he's just working and doing the job that he want, you know, campaign, they campaign so hard for these jobs, do everything they can to keep these jobs. It is nice to see that he's actually doing the job. I mean, we, one day we went to bed while, you know, the, the president of the United States is literally the biggest dick in the world. Like he's just the biggest asshole in the world. And then the next day that's not true anymore. Now, Oh, we have a just regular, like seemingly nice human being yeah as opposed to the dude who was just like trying to burn everything down like all yeah. he did was just try to cause problems he ended up burning down everybody around him <laughs> just such a disaster i mean uh, couldn't even make it to the inauguration for the next president i mean <laughs> Oh, he's, I mean, we knew it before he ever even took office, right? He's just like this, he, he's an insult comic crybaby, just spoiled egomaniac, not a nice person. Yeah. (laughs) No, it's all about him. It's all about him. Everything is about him. It has to come back to him in some way. Um, and unfortunately, the consequence of that mentality is policy that's driven by what serves his purposes rather than maybe some broader purpose. I mean, everybody is working on some angle to make their life better, but it's like you, this actual approach didn't work for him. I mean, even some of his most staunch followers absolutely hate him now. They feel like betrayed. Well, and so, yeah. and rightfully so, because <laughs> he well, really wasn't interested in them at all. And he burned them all down. I mean, he lost the presidency and both houses of Congress. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a million like just Republican operatives have now totally lost all credibility. Like the Rudy yeah. Giuliani's of the world where he, he, Rudy was not a complete clown. 
yeah. until Trump, but his association with Trump has just made him into a complete buffoon. And, you know, and of course, Trump just then throws every single person he works with under, under the, bus. the bus as far yeah. as he can. <laughs> his whole family looks like assholes. Yeah. Anybody that was ever associated with him, he got kicked off. The PGA tour kicked him out. Mm hmm. Uh, anyway, I hope, you know, now we can have, can we just for four years, not talk about the president every day? Can we just not have to think about the president every day? Yeah. I don't think Biden is going to try to tweet just to get attention and just become part of the story. He'll be working. He'll be doing good things. I'm sure he won't be insulting people. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Today on the show, we have a listener email about uh, Proctor U shenanigans from the January LSAT Flex. Okay. I don't know if you've heard any of these, Ben, but they uh, the stories do keep coming in. People having uh, problems with the Flex because of Proctor U. Hmm. Uh, we have a new feature on the show, Ben, that we're going to call Excuse of the Week. Oh, this good. Week's- I like this. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to solicit them from all of our teachers, but this one's already one of our teachers uh, had an excuse in a class that basically boils down to, I have extra time and don't know what to do. And that's an <laughs> extra excuse time for on the test oh, running out of, yeah, well, finishing the sections early and yeah. then having a panic attack. So that's our excuse of the week. We'll get to that. Um, okay. We have that pearls reminds versus me. Sorry, turds. tangent. Yeah. Sorry, it just it feels like you know when celebrities complain about things and all their followers are just like, "What the fuck, dude? Do you have yeah. any clue? Like, what we're going through? We don't make anywhere near the money that you make. This is like extra time. Extra time is like being a celebrity. You got all this freaking time, and now you're crying about something. Uh, people make excuses <laughs> of all sorts. I, th- I think we're gonna have plenty of content for this excuse of the week feature. Cause every, I don't, there's no class that I ever teach that I don't hear some lame excuse mm-hmm. for not understanding yeah. a question or for not showing up to class or for not doing your homework or for not, you know, buckling down and registering for the official LSAT, not performing well on the official LSAT. There's like, it does just, we got to, a gold mine, I think, of yeah. stuff to talk about in Excuse of the Week. Um, Pearls versus Turds, another long-running feature of the show. That's where we uh, take a bit of received wisdom from the internet and decide if it's a pearl of wisdom okay. or a turd. Someone wrote in with an analogy about uh, big fish, small pond, uh, and whether you should choose law school uh, that way. Mm-hmm. Will law Makes schools... Sense. Lose their accreditation because of COVID. Somebody saw a uh, kind of a clickbaity post out there mm. about, you know, how the school closures we've since the beginning, very beginning of our career, we've heard things like oh, Golden Gate University is at risk of law school is at risk of losing their accreditation. So that's making the rounds again. We can talk about school closures a little bit. Okay. A listener sent in a brain teaser for us. Uh, ben, are you familiar with the Monty Hall problem? Mm, nope, never heard of awesome. it. Awesome. Okay, I'm going to give you uh, the Monty Hall brain teaser and see okay. if you can figure it out. Right. Um, 
Then we have test 65, uh, section four, question 18, a logical reasoning question that we'll be able to close the show with. And there's an additional item here, Ben. You wanted to talk about single tasking and attention? Yes. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Uh, this show is going to air on Monday, January 25th, upcoming events. Let's see, February 3rd, January flex scores will come out. Uh, don't forget to do your LSAT writing. If you want your score to be released promptly, uh, there have been disasters last fall, especially with proctoring the LSAT writing. And so it's not it's an easy writing assignment. It's nothing you need to worry about, but you do need to do it. And the hardest part of it might be getting your proctor you appointment and whatever. So, uh, make sure you do your LSAT writing. If you want that score, the 20th of February is the beginning of the February LSAT flex testing week. You've still got a few more days after that to decide whether to register for the April LSAT flex. The deadline for that is February 24th. Uh, and if you register for that test, you'll be testing during the week of April 10th. We got a lot of good emails this week. Um, that's how we build our whole agenda. So please email the show help at thinking If you have a question, a pearls versus turd, an excuse of the week, uh, a brain teaser for Ben, please email help at thinking Uh, if you're a fan of the show, uh, you like what we're doing and you want to support us, uh, please do go to iTunes and uh, not just hit the five stars, but also write a few words about the show. Um, oh, we do have an announcement. Uh, we're looking for a proctor for our Saturday tests, lsatdemon.com. We have uh, proctored practice tests every Saturday and we need somebody to help out uh, 12 to 2 p.m., Eastern time on Saturdays, uh, probably just be every other Saturday, but, uh, that's a freelance gig. You want to pick up a little bit of extra cash email help at lsatdemon.com and, uh, become the newest member of our team. Awesome. Uh, you want to take this first email from the Proctor U shenanigans? Yeah. So this uh, person writes in, Hey guys, I took the January flex this morning and had some Proctor U shenanigans. I started studying with the demon last August after I scored a 155 in July. I wrote an email to you both about bombing because of a family emergency the night before. After you read my email about gap years on the podcast, I decided to take a year off and study with y'all. Best decision ever. Dot, dot, dot. I scored a 173 to 176 on all my practice tests in December, so I was feeling great about taking the January flex. Yeah, that's an incredible difference, potentially 21 points. Um, in any case, the first two sections, LR and LG, were a breeze. That's logical reasoning and logic games. I had just finished reading the first reading comp passage when my browser randomly closed and my test disappeared. You know, actually, I heard someone say something similar in class on Tuesday night. I looked at the ProctorU chat box and saw my proctor said, may I borrow your mouse right before it closed? Okay. Usually you respond yes, and then they take over. Well, my proctor just took my mouse and ended my test. I guess she didn't feel like completing her whole shift. <laughs> 
LOL. She got in the chat and said, now that your test is done, you can rip up your paper and exit. I responded verbally and in the chat box that my test was in fact not done. No response. Then multiple different proctors began entering and leaving the chat. Still no answer. <sighs> this goes on for about 10 minutes. At this point, I cried. Oh. I was sure my test was gone or would be scored incomplete. I had felt so good about the first two passages and thought for sure that this was down the drain. After about 15 minutes, my original proctor starts speaking and basically acts like she doesn't know who I am, what is going on, or why I'm even having a breakdown. LOL. <laughs> Glad this person That was the capital LOL. The first yeah, one was the lowercase LOL. That one's a yeah. big LOL. I said, you closed my exam. I wasn't done. <laughs> then she just fixed it, and I was back in my reading comp section. My jaw dropped. What <laughs> the fuck just happened? <laughs> Whatever. Dried my tears and made that section my bitch. <laughs> um, oh. Now I am laughing about it. If I have to take, retake. If I have to retake in April, then so be it. Um, good. Okay. I still think I did really well. I finished the whole section and thought the passages were easy. She said after the exam that my video was cutting out during one of the sections, so my test would have to be reviewed. Oh, yada, yada. I think I'm, I am mostly mad that someone at the LSAC is going to watch a probably very com com comedic 10 to 15 minute video of me crying <laughs> while thinking my test was gone. I've been reading the LSAC's website about test day complaints, but it sounds like they will cancel your test or score before you can see it and give you a future test voucher. Oh yeah, so if you file a complaint, that's their solution. They'll cancel your score and let you take it again for free. I do feel like I still did really well, so I probably won't appeal or file for a complaint either or file a complaint. Plus, I was lucky enough to get a scholarship that has covered my LSAT expenses and will cover another test. So if I didn't do my best, I'm not distraught about the $200 loss. What are your thoughts? Have either of you heard any other experiences like this? Um, we have heard similar ones. The one thing I'm really curious about actually is, did you lose time? Because a lot of times when people have Proctor U shenanigans, mm. they also end up losing some of that time, right? They have 35 minutes, the shenanigan takes 10, and they, the, when the timer resumes again, they're five minutes short. We don't know what happened here, but it sounds like this person had the full time. Yeah. Finished the whole section on reading comp and thought the passages were easy. Yep. And this is somebody who had been scoring in the mid 170s on practice tests. So, seem like they know what they're talking about. No big deal. I mean, it's a bummer. The drama part. That I'm a little, a little skeptical. I'm a little, I'm a little weary, as the kids would say. <laughs> you're weary. You're, you're weary of hearing these tales. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sidebar i was mm -hmm. thinking about weary and i think what what's going on is the kids are actually conflating in there another word leery l-e-e-r-y oh interesting a weird amalgam of right? two words so you're leery so, you're wary and now you're weary 
Yeah. And they're, <laughs> yes, they're trying to say that because so leery also mean it means like skeptical, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You're leery of someone. You're not. Uh-huh. It's kind wary of the same would be as like wary. kind of afraid of. Leery would be kind of similar. Skeptical, sus. kind of worried. Huh? You hear the word sus these days? Sus? Sus. That's what my kids all say. It means like oh, suspicious. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah They're suspect, like, oh, that's yeah. sus, Dad. I'm like, oh, right. really? Well, you want totally. some sauce? Because we got sauce for dinner. <laughs> Dad jokes. Good one. <laughs> um, yeah, so there are three different words. Wary, mm-hmm. which means mm-hmm. kind of nervous, afraid of, skeptical mm-hmm. of. Leery, L-E-E-R-Y, means I think almost like the same thing. Yeah, it feels then, like it, yeah. Yeah. And then weary, which is what what the kids say when they mean wary or leery, but they say weary, W-E-A-R-Y. So I wonder... But that, means, like, t- that means tired. Totally different, right? So basically, they're taking two words that are similar in meaning. They're combining them together to come up with another word that has no relationship. Well, yeah, well but, what, but it does happen to be an actual word. Yes. Weary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I don't think they really mean to say that they're tired. <laughs> So they are accidentally just using the wrong word. Yeah, that's that's shit kids say wrong. Part two. That should be another segment. It is. It's going to be, yeah. Although Annalisa reminded me that the dictionary is descriptive, not prescriptive, and that words do shift in meaning over time. And there is no such thing, actually, as like objective correctness. Okay. I actually, the, I actually the judge gave doesn't a... Buy that. <laughs> <laughs> I gave a speech about this in college. Judge I wrote a paper. Yeah. Yes. I wrote a paper on prescription versus description. Ooh. And then they the English my English professor whatever liked it enough that he proposed I present that essay to a symposium of fellow nerds who care about wow. this shit. And I did. And you know, I can't even remember what I said in that uh, paper or in that speech, but um I feel like what ADOT is saying, and no offense to her, but it's like way too extreme. It's like, oh, well, right. everything is descriptive, so like say whatever you want. Well, you're going to go around and start talking to people? Be yeah. Like, yeah, well, that's a, that's a nice um, bloop you have there. And everybody's like, well, I don't what's a bloop? <laughs> well, it's, I, I mean, it's car, but language is changing. So, I mean, <laughs> don't judge me, right? Like, obviously, there are, what I would say is there are words that are solidly correct right or wrong there are words that are totally in flux and then there's there's some that are kind of in a mix right like toward and towards Uh no one knows the rules for that so yeah i would say the rule is toward in america but no one knows it so who cares but some other things everybody knows the rules and the fact that you're violating them makes you look ignorant and not (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean and even if that's like a wrong headed way to think, even if that's like a backward, like even if we do need to be non progressive, like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) even if we should, you know, and it's a new day in America. So even if we should like have strong progressive ideals, you're whoever's reading your law school personal statement, it could be the crustiest old person and they're not 
necessarily going <laughs> to like want to go on that forward journey of language with you. They're going to more really be like, wait, what now? I think you meant a different word. Surely you didn't yeah. mean weary here. You meant wary or leery, but not weary. And they're just going to, yeah, they're going to think you're dumb. No, if you really believe this, go for it. Use whatever words you want in your personal statement. Like, honestly, just like take it on. You know, like, See how well, that works hey, out a lot for of you. young kids say sus. I, 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 that's what you know. <laughs> I mean, that oh, might man. work at a low tier law school that only cares about your body. Right. Sorry, that sounded weird. I mean, just like getting bodies into this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, my one bit of res- of response here for, uh, this is anonymous mm-hmm. that started crying in the middle yeah. of the test. Why'd you start crying about it? Yeah, this I, is true. Like, it just, I can't imagine giving, I mean, I, it's a high stakes test. It, it is important in the long run. It's important. But any one individual test day, I can't imagine any circumstances where I would be crying or really even giving that much of a shit. Yeah. Like Proctor, you fucked it up. Well, Proctor, you fucked it up. I know that the I know that that happens sometimes. Law schools only care about your highest score. I'm planning on taking the test five times if necessary to get the best score I can. Yep. Two hundred bucks, or use one of my free things that I got from the scholarship, whatever. These are all inconsequential, just little drops in the bucket in the grand scheme of things. I want you to work hard. I want you to study hard. I want you to like, I want you to care about questions you miss. Like that's the thing that I want you to get upset about in class or whatever, or when you're drilling or whatever in the demon, if you miss a question, yeah, I want you to get a little irritated about that. That shouldn't be okay for you. You you should, I mean, it's okay to make mistakes and learn, but you know, you should be like, shit. What did I do? Like, I don't want to really figure this one out. Why I, why I messed it up, but that's the only part you can control. So on the day of the official test, if bad shit happens, whatever, I'm worried about the, the mindset, you know, like the, yeah. I mean, on some level, I think we're all like learning this too, right? There are things that I used to get upset about or I don't know if I, yeah, I, I've cried. <laughs> cried about that. I'm trying to remember, like, you know, um, but I, I can remember specific instances where I cried. But in any case, I, I think that part of this is just age, right? Like, as you get older, you're like, wait a sec, should I really care about this? And then you learn not to. And I, I think it's a prefrontal cortex thing. I was just listening to a book two days ago that was talking about how when older people are presented with negative stimuli and positive stimuli, the amygdala, which is the emotional center of their brain, Mm -hmm. lights up for the positive stimuli, but does not light up for the negative stimuli. But for young people, the amygdala lit up for both. Mm. And they theorize that the prefrontal, they think that the prefrontal cortex was 
receiving that negative stimuli and blocking the amygdala from reacting to it. Mm. Like, hey, hold up. Like, don't stress out. But interesting, letting the positive stimuli go ahead and have that positive effect on the amygdala. (laughs) Some of this is just getting older and saying, okay, I'm going to ignore that. I'm going to accept this good thing and ignore this bad thing. Yeah, it's it's a thing. Uh, yeah, I guess I wonder if there's what things you can do to train that. I think one becoming aware of it and two meditation, right? Mm-hmm. Like and mm-hmm. trying to recognize emotions and thoughts for what they are. Mm-hmm. Emotions and thoughts, they're not necessarily you. And I think also the lesson that how many bad things have you gone through and ultimately on some strange level been grateful that you did because of the change it brought or, you know, like completely. Yeah. I mean, at least for me, I would say there's some shitty things that have happened and it's like, well, actually I can't imagine what my life would be like if I hadn't have gone through that. The insight, the, this same like emotional maturity, right? Like something happens and you're like, eh, it's okay. Cause I've been through something that's like bad and didn't turn out to be as bad as I thought it would be. Yeah. Uh, you know, Biden is going to probably make some mistakes as president <laughs> and we're going to be like, this is true. Right. We're going to be like, it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. You know, that that is an interesting thought because like before, you know, when some politician would slip up and say something that just wasn't, didn't fit the, I don't know, the cultural expectation of what the politicians should have said and everybody's talking about it and blogging about it and tweeting about it and whatever. It's like now you're like, yeah, well, compared to before, that's nothing. Dude, both sides completely do it. I mean... I remember when liberals were of which I consider myself pretty progressive Mm. politically, but I, our team fucking hated George Bush senior, George Herbert Walker Bush. Mm -hmm. And it's like, like he's evil. Yeah. No, no, he's not. No, he's not. He's a guy. He's not on your team. He, he, he was trying to do mostly work and do good things. <laughs> All of his speeches were good, bland and forward, you know, like, let's make progress. He, he was trying to do things, not just destroy his enemies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, then, oh. George W. Bush is the president. Oh, he's the really the devil. Mm-hmm. No, no, he wasn't. He's buddies with Michelle Obama, by the way. They like <laughs> it's he's fine. He's a normal. He's a fine whatever. You could think he's an idiot. You could decide you don't like his policies. Did he do bad shit? Yes. But was he like trying to be evil? No. So everybody just needs to be way less hysterical. I think in the post-Trump world, we have to dial it down on the hysteria. Yeah. When people do bad things or fuck up. Maybe our amygdalas have been uh, strengthened 
via the Trump administration. Maybe. Um, so. Thanks for writing in, by the way. Yeah, I if Proctor U fucks you, then whatever. I, I don't. It's just that's shit's gonna happen. You can't control that. This is uh, that's nothing that anybody should ever be worried about. You need to treat your official test like it's just another practice test. If you would have had the inter- an internet outage in the middle of your practice test, would you have cried? No. It would have fucked up your practice test. So. Anyway, sounds like she recovered and did great. So perfect. But if if she does end up having to retake, because I don't know, it, it, having a breakdown like that in the middle of your test does tend to have detrimental effects to your score. So, you know, what if it comes back 168, Ben? Retake it, hands down. Yeah. Like, and if it comes back 168 again after that, then scrape up the 200 bucks and take it again and again, if necessary. Yeah. Until you get that score in the 173 to 176 range that you, you're talking about. It'll Our change your life. Our presumption now is if you haven't taken it five times, why? <laughs> oh, because the third time was the best you could get? Okay, great. You've rebutted right. the presumption. Yeah. The only acceptable answer is scoreboard. Yep. Right? So, Nathan, why didn't you take it five times? I got a 179 on my first attempt. Oh, okay. You don't need to take it again. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're done. Yeah. But, you know, like so-and-so test taker, you know, you've, if you're going to stop, you better have gotten a damn good LSAT score. It's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars and has untold effects on your entire career. So you really should do that shit. Otherwise you're, it's just bad lawyering. I just came up with another rebut to the presumption. I died. One, one, yeah. Oh, that's number three, I guess. Oh. Number one is scoreboard. Number two is I'm not doing law school. Fuck that, right? Oh, that's yeah. totally fine. Yeah. Yeah. So that yes. works. And <laughs> number three, I've died. <laughs> Presumably no one's going to ask you to rebut the presumption at that point. But if they did, you could say, well, I'm gone. Yeah. If somehow, you know, if you learn more about legal practice or you decide you have your, your internship or your job at the firm or whatever, and you decide you hate it then yeah, you should definitely quit. No matter how much time and effort you've put into the LSAT, don't keep banging your head against that concrete wall. Um, That's fine if you decide that you want to walk away. Although people sometimes, it's like, I'm going to take the LSAT once and see how I do. And then then they like walk away because they didn't do well enough on the LSAT. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's actually they probably should walk away right i mean that's just like yeah uh, that's fine (laughs) if that's how you're going to be about things then that's not lawyer type shit anyway so yeah all right pearls oh no no no. excuse the week okay um one of the teachers i don't know if they wanted to be named but one of the teachers uh submitted a student email that said I get really panicked at the end of each section because I have double time and always finish with at least five minutes left and don't know what to do during those five minutes. And I just get so anxious. <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> what do you say to that excuse of the week? What? Okay. <laughs> you don't know what to do with your time. 
This person actually really should. I mean, I mean, I know I've been talking a lot about meditation recently, but this person is a prime candidate. Actually, I think everyone who's studying for the test is a prime candidate, but this person in particular needs to get comfortable with doing nothing. Yeah, that's lesson one, isn't it, of meditation? Yeah, it's okay. You don't have to always be doing something. And one thing that um, Sam Harris has been saying a lot lately, along with actually this other book I'm reading called Deep Work by Cal Newport, um, we live in a world today in which people do not have to face boredom ever. You're Mm, in line at the grocery store and you can look at your phone. It's 30 seconds of waiting and you're looking at your phone. And so it's it's a practice that literally has no place to get, what is it, implemented or like tested, right? People don't have to be bored. And so, it's yeah. a downside. I read very similar. I, I uh, followed this guy, Tommy Angelo. He's a, perf- a poker professional. He's also super into meditation, writes books about meditation. Yeah. And I saw a tweet of his the other day that said, basically every time you have to wait is an opportunity to get better at waiting. Yeah. And I happen to be like standing in line at the grocery store mm-hmm. on my phone, of course, scrolling Twitter <laughs> when I Reading saw that. that. Yeah. Yeah. And I basically just put my phone in my pocket, you know, and enjoyed having that opportunity to, to, to get better at waiting. Yeah. And some people might say, what's the value in waiting, right? Just being calm in all situations, including the one where you finish your section five minutes early and you don't know what to do. Exactly. And (laughs) becoming present. This is why Sam Harris's book is called Waking Up. He's like, so many people are not awake because they are just going from one thought to the next completely unaware of how their thoughts are dictating their feelings, what they're doing. They're just completely unconscious to how they are out of control. Pausing and disconnecting and then becoming present with the people. You don't even need to talk to them. I'm not talking about talking to people. You're present with the fact that you're in line at the grocery store. You're present with the fact that you're... Just observe what's going on. Appreciate the fact that there's fruit five feet from your hand. <laughs> yeah. Now, in the LSAT context, um, you're, you're going to be in some room that you have sanitized mm-hmm. to uh, proctor use specifications. So you're not going to have any entertainment to look at or pe- other people. Yep. But yeah, good chance to close your eyes or keep them open, meditate for a little while, try to get control over your, or at least observe your thoughts and emotions. Yeah. One other tip that I might've given to this student is don't request double time in the first place. If if you're, be careful asking for accommodations. If you ask for time and a half, they're going to give you time and a half. If you ask for double time, they're going to give you double time. Double time is a lot of time. That's a crazy amount of time. That would be super boring for me. I mean, I'd, I'd have to take a nap or something. Yeah. 
But anyway, that's the excuse of the week, Ben. I have too much time and it makes me nervous. Yeah. Meditation, yeah. This is a problem, though, that's so surmountable. Start meditating and start taking advantage of that double time. Holy cow. You can get an amazing score. So you'll have, you'll, you'll start. I've only dabbled really, but I do remember that when I was meditating with any regularity, Mm -hmm. I almost immediately started to, to look forward to opportunities to have nothing going on opportunities to just be stuck having nothing going on. Yeah. I would, I would be like, Oh good. I yep. get to, I get to do a few minute extra minutes of meditation. That's awesome. Yep. It's like so calming and so restful. Exactly. You know? And so with, I don't, what is uh waking up, try to get you to do as a beginning meditation practice, how 10 minutes or five minutes or. Yeah. Uh, all of them are about uh, eight to 12 minutes. And his main goal is, I think, if I understand Sam correctly, is to just realize that anything can be um, meditated upon. Like, he says a lot of times people look at meditation as like, oh, they got to be free of distraction. They can't have other people talking to them. And he's like, no, I'm trying to make you aware of what consciousness is. And if someone is talking, that just recognizing that that is external stimuli coming into your consciousness and appreciate that. Like it, it doesn't have to be this like, oh, stop talking to me. I'm trying to meditate. I'm trying. It's like, no, it's like becoming aware of whatever stimuli, including visual stimuli, is in your environment. And just recognizing it as that. It's just stimuli. And your consciousness is processing it, <laughs> taking it in. Excellent. I'm gonna I'm gonna try this week. <clears throat> cool. Yeah, the app that he has is waking up. I love it. So Okay. Awesome. Um you wanna take this next one? Yeah. Hey guys. This is a Pearls versus Turd, by the way. If you don't know Pearls versus turds. This is where we take some received wisdom from the internet and we decide whether it is a pearl advice that you should follow or a turd advice that you should throw out just like you do any other dog shit. And right now we (laughs) have 10 pearls and 42 turds and 21 ties, which is the same as 63 turds, really. So not a lot (laughs) lot of of bad advice advice out out there. there. Yep. Hey guys, I got advice from a 3L that I ran into while working that I wanted to hear your opinions on. Sorry, I just had to emphasize that that's there because speaking of (laughs) rules, technically a 3L is a person. So you'd want to say, I got advice from a 3L who I ran into while working that I wanted to hear your opinions on. Hmm? Whom? Would it be whom? Oh, that's one where who and whom... Whom is going away? So some people would argue that it's not required anymore. But anyway, he told me it's better to be a big fish in a small pond than a small fish in a big pond. He elaborated further saying, it's better to go to a lower rank school if you have the ability to be in the top 10% of your class than it would be being at a higher ranked school and be ranked in the middle. Um, I, I, I'm just going to stop here. Well... 
let me continue his argument. He continued to justify this by saying the top 10% usually gets the best scholarships, the best resources, the best recognition. Post-graduation, it looks better on your resume being at the top of your class than the school you went to. Um, A continues, it seems like sound advice, and I feel like Ben and Nathan have alluded to it without actually explicitly addressing it. However, if the guys feel differently, I would like to know why, exclamation point. Um, I think we actually have said this before, although I also feel like we've backtracked a little bit and said, hey, look, there there are exceptions to this, of course. Um, Like if you want to be a clerk or something like that, right? Or you want to go into academia, you have to go to certain schools. No, I, I, I think it's a pearl. I, I, I think we have explicitly talked about this Mm -hmm. dozens of times. Probably we never stop saying don't pay for law school. We literally say that in every single show. So yeah, that's what we're saying is that you're going to take a scholarship at a slightly lower rank school instead of going to the best school you can get into. If you go to the best school you can get into the academic, you know, and pay, pay us pay tuition, the academic competition there is going to be tough. And the odds are you're not going to be in the top 10% of your class. I mean, I would say the odds are like 10 to one against you or nine to one against you. If you're not on a scholarship, you know, like, yeah, the scholarship kids are going to be at the top of the class more often than the non-scholarship kids are. So it's going to be harder to compete academically. You're, there are going to be, you know, cream of the crop opportunities at every single school that you're not going to get if you don't finish in the top 10% or top 25% of your 1L. Class. Law, review, law review, et cetera. Law review at Hastings moot court. Um, there was the Hastings to Haiti program where they took three one L's out of a class of 500 to get into the Hastings to Haiti program. Um, it's an inherently elitist, ultra competitive game you're playing. Mm-hmm. And you can just stack the deck in your favor by going to a lower ranked school, being one of the stars. You, you, you're not guaranteed to be a star, but you're much more likely to be a star if you're going to school on a scholarship than if you're not. And so, yeah, that means go be a big fish in a small pond. Absolutely. Everybody should. And even for people who want to go into academia or, you know, super prestigious federal clerkships or whatever, if you get into Harvard, Ben, but Michigan wants to give you a full ride plus a $10,000 a year stipend. Yeah. I mean, that's a good problem to have. (laughs) You can't really go wrong, but go to Michigan and be, you're going to, you know, if if they really are going to give you a $10,000 a year stipend on top of a full ride, they're they're showing you like, Hey, we really value you. You're going to be a star here. Also just in the back of your mind, the fact that that money is now covered and you're not accruing debt. I mean, I'm sure most people aren't thinking about the debt that they're accruing as they go through law school. They should be. It's, it's a big number. 
And if you're getting a stipend too, that's like, again, it's making your life easier. It's one less thing for the back of your mind to be like processing or worrying about, which just increases your chances of doing well in the classes that you're in. And OCI, some places, you know, uh, on-campus interviews, the people, the firms that come there are only going to interview certain tiers. They say, yep, we're here to see the top 10% or the top 20% or whatever. Yeah. I mean, Hastings is going to be like super excited to tell you that Morrison Forster or whoever it is comes (laughs) on campus to interview at Hastings. Yeah. But they don't go on campus to interview at USF or Golden Gate. But then when Morrison Forster actually does come to campus, the email that goes out to all the two L's who want to interview or want late one out, whatever, whenever it is, I didn't even do OCI, but when they come, they send out emails that literally say, if you're in the top 15% of the class, or if you're in the top 25% of the class, you can get one of these on-campus interview slots. And it's not easy to compete at Hastings. I mean, if you're on a scholarship, yeah, you've probably got a pretty good chance to compete grade-wise. But if you're not there, if you're, I mean, every single person in the class thinks they're going to finish in the top 15% of the class. This <laughs> is not how it works. So, yeah, I, I, I'm voting Pearl on this one, Ben. I'm okay with that. I I recognize there are always exceptions to our advice, but it really comes down to how big are those exceptions. And here I feel like they're so small, the presumption is against you to figure out why you should break this rule. I think, yes. If you really know what you're doing and you can do it, fine. But that's unusual. I don't, yeah, I don't want to like, I would like to acknowledge that there are exceptions, but I also want to communicate in ways that, get the big picture across fairly clearly. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so that's why I think this is a pearl because uh, barring some exception, I do think you would be much better off going to law school for free and being a big fish in a small pond. It's just, it seems obviously better for almost everybody. Cool. We can talk about the exceptions, but that seems like the advice for, for most people. Gasp. Will law schools lose their accreditation because of COVID? (laughs) Hello. I came across the following blog post. Will law schools lose their ABA accreditation? This is from the blueprint uh, blog. Okay. It both confused and concerned me. So I was wondering if maybe Ben and Nathan would be interested in discussing it on the podcast. I looked up the 2020 law schools based on bar passage And it looks like more than half of the current ABA accredited schools would lose their accreditation based on what is discussed in the blog post. Thanks so much for your help. That's anonymous again. Hmm. I, I already glanced at it, Ben. It looks like clickbait to me. (laughs) It's a, it's about a memo from the ABA. The memo confirms that the ABA will not suspend standard 316, which is the bar passage requirement. And what's the bar passage requirement? 75%? 75%. And by the way, several states, including California, did lower their cut score like this year. Hmm. I think they knew that their all their law schools were going to be in trouble. 
And Fagman has been yelling about it for forever. The, the California bar cut score was too high. So they have now lowered the bar. So then this 75% is a phony number anyways, right? Because if you can just make the test easier, then of course uh, the number of law schools that surpass 75% of their students passing the bar will remain. We've talked about this before, Ben. There's a whole process for how law schools actually lose their accreditation. Oh, it It's not like time. immediately you just w- one day you're accredited and the next day the ABA is like, you're no longer accredited. No, it's it, the, the, there's a whole like intertwined <laughs> relationship between the ABA, the law schools, the, um, the whole process. Um, it's just like any regulated industry. The regulators often come from the very industry that's being regulated and they sympathize and understand and don't want to take the whole system down. It's just meant to make people feel good and get rid of really, really bad apples that everybody <laughs> right. agrees is horrible, which is like I clicked one on... law school every 10 years. <laughs> oh, well, so the link, uh, there's a link right at the top of that article um, by the way, we'll put some of this stuff on uh, thinkinglset.com. But there's a link at the top of the article to a, a list of 200-ish accredited law schools that's yeah. on the ABA website. Yeah. I clicked on that. How many schools are on probation currently? <laughs> Zero. <laughs> Zero. <laughs> so we got two Holy schools smokes. on teach out plans. That's Thomas Jefferson School of Law and University of Laverne Law School. What's a Those teach were out plan? Oh, cl- law schools okay. on a teach out plan are closed schools with continuing approval with the limited purpose of teaching out current students under an approved plan. So basically just make sure that the your 1L and 2L classes can still finish school and then you're done. Basically stop accepting new students teach out okay. the existing students and close. So that's what's happening to Thomas Jefferson and university of Laverne. But then we have 200 ABA accredited schools and not a single one of them currently on probation. This article to me is just clickbait without any real, there's, <laughs> it's not like the ABA came out and actually warned any specific law schools or put anybody on actual probation. And, People have been crying wolf about law schools getting closed since the very beginning of time. I mean, I I started my business in San Francisco and people were always talking about, but what if Golden Gate loses their accreditation? And now here we are, you know, 14 years later and they still are. What if Golden Gate loses its accreditation? <laughs> yeah, well, it's probably not going to happen. They've been around for a hundred years or whatever. Now, should they close? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> ben and I agree that there are too many law schools uh, charging way too much money for people who are not going to pass the bar or ever practice law. And so, yes, many of these schools should be closed down by the ABA. Mm-hmm. Will they be closed down by the ABA? No. <laughs> History does not suggest that the ABA is going to get tough with anybody. All right. Next one. Ooh. Yeah. The Monty Hall problem. All right. Here's here's the game, Ben. Ready? Yep. Go for it. You remember Let's Make a Deal? Like a show? Game show? Door number one, door number two, door number three. Okay. Mm-hmm. What's behind the door? There's going to be a big reveal. 
Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, Ben. Behind one of the doors, a fabulous brand new car. <laughs> Behind two of the doors, goats. Okay. You get to pick door number one, door number two, or door number three. Okay. Would you like to make a selection? Um, two. Okay. I, as your host, <coughs> your host, Monty Hall. Yep. I'm going to show you, you've picked door number two. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to show you what's behind door number one. Okay. Door number one is revealed. Okay. And it's goats. Now I'm going to give you an opportunity. You can either have immediately what's behind door number two, Mm -hmm. or you can switch to door number three. What's your choice? Oh, um, okay. Let me think through this for one second. So I feel like I have a 50, 50 shot either way. I mean, I now know the door. You opened door number one. I opened door number one. Wait, hold on. I want goats. <laughs> yeah. Monty, can I have what that? Can I just have door number one? <laughs> yes. Thank you. Um, I got a bunch of brush and shit on my yard that needs to get removed. Can I have those goats, please? Um, okay. So assuming I want the car, I feel like I, I just have a 50-50 shot. Either way, it's either two or three. Um, if I was picked- right... Door number two, yeah. and I'm now giving you the option to switch off of door number two to door number three if you want to, or you can hang on to your original choice of door number two. You sound like you think it doesn't matter. Well, I, that's what I'm leaning to, but I want to think through two scenarios. So one scenario is I was right, right? So door number two is correct. It has the car. Um, the fact that he opened door number one does that change anything? I mean, he could have picked either one, one or three. If I was wrong and I had the goats and he, well, he only had one choice. He had to pick door number one. So then, hmm. Um, well, I guess in the first scenario, it's 50, 50 in the second scenario, I win. So it seems like my chances are slightly better. I can't really explain why, but to go with door number three, it's like more of a gut feeling. I, I don't understand it exactly, but it's like in one scenario, it's 50, 50, the other, it's not 50, 50, it's hundred percent. So it's like 75. Yeah. I don't, I don't quite understand, yeah. but I'm going to go with three. Uh, correct. Yeah. I mean, now I'm not telling you where the car is yeah, or yeah, whether you yeah. won or lost. Um, this is probability, right? Yes. The answer is you should always switch and it's super counterintuitive for people. Okay. I tried to teach my dad this and my dad, he like refused to believe that, that it's better to switch. Okay. He's like, what difference does it make? The car was behind one of the three doors. I I had a one in three chance. I already made my selection. Yeah. Switching to a different door doesn't change where the car is. How can it possibly be better to switch? Yeah. Yeah. But the thing he's not doing is he's not going through the world's in his head. (laughs) You made the worlds. You did it. You made the worlds in your head. Yeah. And you realized one out of three times you're going to be right. Mm -hmm. 
if you stay on your choice, you're going to win one out of three times because one out of three times you were right to begin with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. But two out of three times you're going to be wrong. And when you're wrong, Monty shows you one of the doors. Yeah. Monty always has a door of goats. Yep. So when, you know, if the car, if the car was indeed under door one or door three, yeah. Monty shows you the other door. Yeah. He has, he always has a way to show you goats. Yep. And so you are getting new information, even though it's just, yeah, I knew goats were behind one of the doors. What difference does it make? Yeah. Yeah. But, but (laughs) these are the two that you didn't pick and he's showing you goats behind one of them Mm -hmm. now means that it is a 50, 50. If you switch, if you switch. Yeah. So you do actually increase your chance. I think, yeah, you win the car half the time. If you switch, Hmm. that's essentially what happened, right? He, he took one of the doors of goats out of the, the equation out of the equation. So yeah, it's 50, not, 50, if you switch. Am, so I don't, I'm still not even sure if the way I'm thinking about it is right. So if you humor me for half a second. So sure. the way I was thinking about it was like, if I have the car under door number two, right? Like I, I chose the right place. Then he telling me that goats is under number one. Yeah, I mean, I have a 50-50 shot. But I guess I was feeling like, okay, so then choosing it, I'm going to be wrong. But if if I change it under the other scenario where I'm wrong, if I definitely had the goats, then he just revealed the other one that has goats, and now I'm going to get it right. So I do One out of 50- three times, you're yeah. going to switch from the car to goats. Yeah. One out of three times. Yeah. Right, because you're gonna oh. have been right, yeah, one yeah, out of three yeah. times. So one out of three times, you're gonna switch to goats. Yeah, but if you're wrong, right? If it was the, if you were on the goats, then you're actually gonna be right, and so that's a fifty-fifty. Right. Got it. So it increases yeah. your chances a little bit, not a lot. I think you get it. I think you get the car half the time instead of a third of the time. Hmm. It's pretty significant. You raise your odds from one third to one half yeah. when you switch. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. That's the Monty Hall problem. So wait, who uh, sent this in? Um, do we oh. have a name? Oh, here. Whoa. We have a whole lengthy description of that. We don't actually need all that. Um, keep up the awesome podcast work. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, this person talks about it in terms of worlds too. In world one. I'm glad that they're, I mean, I guess that's a pretty common term, but it's a per, but it, it, like you can pencil it out for yourself. I mean, you could even, I remember like going through with my dad, I'm like, okay, dad, we're going to go through all the scenarios and like actually write out all the scenarios and figure out how many times you won and how many times you lost. Yeah. And you're going to win far more often when you switch you just go, just go through the worlds world one, you know, I picked, let's say you pick one every time, right? Yeah. So world one, the car is in door one, world two, it's in door two, world three, it's in door three. You pick one every time. Think about what Monty would do, you know, in world one, in your right in world one, Monty has two choices to show you goats. He shows you one of the goats. 
if you stay on your choice, yeah, you get it right. But that's the only world where you get the car. You clearly yeah. get the car in only that world. Yeah. If you don't switch. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. But think about the other two worlds in world one. If you switch, you don't get the car, but in world two, you've picked door number one. Mm, the yeah. car is behind two or three. Yep. Monty shows you goats or sorry, the, in world two, the car is in two. So Monty mm-hmm. shows you three. Mm-hmm. If you switch, you get the car. Yeah. And, and in the other place, world switch. three, mm-hmm. you also switch and get the car. Yeah. So wait a second. It increases so your, your odds from one out of three to two out of three. 66%. It doubles your chances of winning. Can that possibly be right? Well, there's only three scenarios, right? Right. Like you, yeah. If it's in one, which it doesn't matter because it's all like, and you, and once we decide that the car is in one, you can only pick one, two or three. And then once you've made that decision, you can only. It doubles pick. your odds of winning. You go from one third of, you go from getting it. Hmm. You're going to get it two thirds of the time if you switch. Okay. Well, good to know. <laughs> Amazing. If we ever run yeah. into this situation. <laughs> if I'm ever on let's make a deal, let's make a deal. Yesterday, yeah, okay. my uh, third son, they always do these weird comparison things. They always say, would you rather, and I don't know why it's so interesting to them. Maybe it's necessary for a developing brain to try to understand like values or preferences or something. Yeah. But sometimes they're really gross. Like, would you rather eat, you know, dog poop or, you know, <laughs> I don't know, like lick the toilet. And I'm like, dude, I, I don't want either one of those. Can you just you know take a break? But yesterday it was mildly interesting. Um, he said, would you rather have a hundred thousand pounds of lead or 200 pounds of gold? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't really know the price of gold and I don't know the price of lead, but our gut reaction was gold would still be valuable. And it ended up being, uh, I think it was like <laughs> 3000 times as valuable, even though it's only 200 pounds of gold. Yeah, um, I was going to take the gold for sure. I thought you had the numbers wrong. Cause 200 pounds of gold would be worth a, it's worth a lot. Insane amount of money. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Also, it would be a lot easier to take delivery of 200 pounds of gold than it would to take a delivery of 100,000 pounds of lead. Yeah. 100,000 pounds of lead, you better like have a rail yard. Yeah, what are you going to do with that, right? 200 well, pounds of gold, you can put that in a couple different suitcases and have it in your car. So the point of this story is that we were doing some more of these, right? And at one point... Um, I, it was a billion something and a million something else. And I, I said uh, <laughs> a billion and he's like, and we figured it out. He's like, oh, it's too bad. You should have taken the million. And I was like, yeah, well, too bad you can't deliver on either one of these. Like, this is just <laughs> nonsense anyway, right? So if we ever find ourselves in this situation, great. But <laughs> <laughs> It's never going to happen is what you're saying? I don't know. Maybe it will. It'd be kind of interesting. Nonetheless, I'd love to know real world situations where you can have this choice. Is it like I love dating? these types of uh, brain teasers. So please I keep them too. coming. Uh, help at thinkinglsat.com. I like delivering them to Ben. If they're, if they're puzzles that I've seen before, I'll uh, keep giving them to Ben on the show and see if he can uh, solve them. But maybe we can flip it too. If there's stuff that I haven't seen before, cool. I, I do enjoy these things. And this it's, 
don't think it's not LSAT ish either. Right. I mean, it's, it's definitely LSAT related because that making those worlds and like really figuring it out for yourself. Yeah. How many times you're going to win versus how many times you're going to lose. Yeah. They don't ask exactly those kinds of questions, but being able to go through that analysis and figure it out, you know, that's in the Monty Hall problem you have all the information you need to answer that question correctly. Like if the question was what's a better strategy switch or not switch, you can think it through and you can figure it out that it is actually better to switch. Yeah. Um, twice as good to switch. All right. You want to, uh, dive into this logical reasoning question for sure. Um, excellent. Yeah. This is test 65 section four. Question 18 Okay, it says hospitals, universities, labor unions, and other institutions. Okay. That's a lot of stuff may well have public purposes and be quite successful at achieving them. Even though each of their individual staff members does what he or she does only for selfish reasons. Wow. That's one sentence. One sentence, sentence yeah. <laughs> and that's huh. it. Okay, so that's a claim. There's no argument here. It's just saying that the organization as a whole might have some goal and succeed at achieving that goal, even though the individual staff members are just doing whatever they're doing to help themselves, which may or may not align with that goal. Doesn't say which one of the following generalizations is most clearly illustrated by the passage? This is just asking what is supported by the passage? What is most likely to be true or must be true, given what was said? Top-down, evidence-based. I can make a kind of a prediction, though. You know, It's almost like paraphrase what they paraphrase what this fact does right yeah think of, it's like think about it <laughs> did you under did you did you really comprehend what that said yep and so i look at that and i go well yeah i mean think about all of the individual members of the world economy for example like just um you me every person in the world Mostly we're just doing shit for ourselves, right? We're trying to make some money. We're trying to buy some shit for ourselves. We each are really just pursuing our own interests, but the combined effect of everybody pursuing their own interests has all kinds of crazy effects, right? Like the invention of the iPhone yep. basically happened because of people going grocery shopping, you know, or people just doing their normal everyday life. And it, it collaboratively creates, I mean, global warming. So good shit and bad shit happens mm -hmm. as a result of everybody just pursuing their individual goals. It can have this like broader effect. Wait, are you saying that global warming is bad? Um, <laughs> I have to, I don't want to speak too soon. <laughs> I'm just messing with it. Yeah. Um, okay. So I think I understand the 
yeah, I get it. Everybody at that hospital is just trying to do their own thing. Yeah. But nonetheless, the hospital ends up fulfilling this public purpose quite successfully. Yep. Helping people get better, whatever. Right. Okay. So answer choice A, what is true of some social organizations is not necessarily true of all such organizations. Okay. This is talking about organization to organization as opposed to uh, an organization and the people or parts within it. So I'm done with this. Well, we have a fact about some institution. And, and by the way, institution and organization, same difference. So I'm, sure. just, I'm definitely not like caught up on that word. I think a lot of people would be worried yeah. about that word. Synonyms are a thing. Institutions and organizations are the same thing. Yep. I, I do have a fact about some organizations, which is that some organizations can have public purposes and be successful at achieving them, even though their individual staff members are only acting out of self-interest. But as far as I know, that could be true of all organizations, yeah, which means I no don't idea. have any evidence that what is true of some organizations is not true of other organizations. I have a fact about some organizations in order to pick a, I'd need another fact that says, yeah, this is not true of other organizations. I just can't prove a, so I'm not picking it. Excellent. B an organization can have a property that not all of its members possess. Yeah. They could have a goal. And be successful at that goal, even though none of, or not all, (laughs) some of the members of that organization don't have that goal and are not successful at it. Hospitals, universities, labor unions, and other institutions can have public purposes, even though their members do not. Yep. The record proves B. Can't be false, according to this fact. By the way, B is kind of vague. An organization can have a property, and we don't know what property B is referring to, but it doesn't really matter. I think sometimes people get hung up on that as well. Yes. It doesn't say property. Is a property. (laughs) A property just means a thing, like a A characteristic. Characteristic, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, can you, yes, an organization can have the property of having a public purpose. Yep. And the members do not have that same property because they are just entirely selfish. So an organization can have a property that not all of its members possess and the record proves it. And that's the answer. And notice too, it's weekly stated, not all of its members possess. That just means some of them don't. That's it. Also the can, right? Yeah. To prove can, we just need one or more organization Mm-hmm. So it could have been just hospitals or just one university or one or labor one, union. Yeah. Yep. Right. But yeah, we've got though We've got those. We've got multiples of those. So it's easy to prove can not the can does not just like automatically make me right. <laughs> but it it <laughs> but doesn't hurt. Um, it makes it easier to prove. Yep. And I can prove it. I can tell you exactly why it, the record shows that an organization can have a property that not all of its members possess. 
It's in the record. It's proven. Yeah. Now, the next answer, C, says people often claim, and already my, my like BS radar is blaring. Not that I'm going to hang my hat on the word often, but this idea of like it being so frequent is weird because the passage never said anything along the lines of how frequent this may occur. No, it said it may, they yeah. may. So it could be just one hospital one time, one university yeah. one time, one labor union one time, and one other organization one time Yeah, may have a public purpose. So yeah, I think you're right to be skeptical of people often. Whoa, wait, what? People, we know this happens sometimes, but I don't know that it happens often. Yeah. All right, keep going. Often claim altruistic motives. <laughs> There's no discussion of what they were claiming. So I'm I'm done. I've already two strikes. I'm out. Yeah, it, it it didn't say anything about people's people. Yeah, describing their own motives was not right. Not justified yep. by the passage at all. Yep. D. Many social institutions have social consequences unintended by those who founded them. Again, I don't like the many. I but that's not such a big deal. I'm gonna keep going, and it's like unintended by those who founded them. We never talked about the founders. We never talked about what they intended. So I do think you could make D correct. If you changed one word, um, by those who work for them. Yep. I think if you change founded to work for them, we know that these individuals do not intend to have these public purposes and Mm -hmm. individuals that work there are, they're only for selfish reasons. So the social institutions do have consequences, social consequences that are unintended by those who work for them. But founders, what, where'd that come from? It's interesting though. Um, unintended by those who work for them, even then I'm still a little bit struggling because even if they're doing something for their own selfish reasons, do they not intend? I think I'd be willing to make that case. Yeah. It says the institutions have public purposes, but the individuals are there for selfish reasons, which that's their intent. They're there to serve themselves. Okay. The institutions though can have public purposes Mm -hmm. that the individuals don't have. That's why B is the answer. So I think with that tweak, I think we can make D correct. But anyway, the founders are makes that conclusively wrong. E, often an instrument created for one purpose will be found to serve another purpose just as effectively. <laughs> I have no idea how different purposes play a role in these institutions or in the people who work for them. So um, that phrase, just as effectively, is enough for me to say, see you later. I'm not going to worry about this. Yeah, we know that a hospital can have a public purpose. Maybe it was created for that purpose. We don't have evidence that it was not created for that purpose. We just know that it has a public purpose. So how can we justify an institution or a thing, an instrument, a thing? How can we justify that serving two different purposes? It's just not in the facts at all. Yep. And then to pile on and say that that other purpose is served just as effectively. To me, that's a very like, it's a logical phrase, right? 
And it's like, what? I, I have no idea how effectively these purposes are being served, let alone whether there are two and yada, yada. So yep. be. It's an evidence-based question. It's a top-down supported or must be true type of a question. You have to pick the one that's boring and obvious and conservatively stated. The one that you're, you're on the firmest footing. If you have to vouch for it, you're standing up in court, you know, or you're, you're writing a brief to the court. Like, yes, your honor, the record shows this and you've got to have the facts. You got to have the evidence to back up that assertion and A, C, D, E are all just speculative. And that leaves us with B, which we can pretty clearly explain to the judge why it's proven by the record. These questions are easier than people think if they, but it is like a shift in mindset a lot of times to get people into that must be true mode, evidence-based, not just bullshitting, making things up mode, but like <laughs> the record actually shows this. Yeah. It's an important skill for LSAT reading comprehension for all of the top down types of logical reasoning questions on the LSAT. And I do think it's a, probably a pretty important skill for well, shit, logic games, by the way, I mean, <laughs> the, the evidence, the record justifies whatever answer you're going to pick. It's like you can prove the answer that you're going to pick. It's not just guessing or uh, this might work. It's like actually getting there, actually solving it. It's proven. The, uh, boy, it's half the questions on the LSAT, huh? I would are say are in that. Maybe yeah, yeah more because all of yeah. the logic games, all logic games, almost all reading comp, almost all the reading comp, yeah, and then and then still half the logical reason, half LR, yeah. It's, oh shit! So it's like five sixths of the test. And if you want to get really like nerdy, you could say that a, an argument, which is asking you which one point of true most strengthens the conclusion or whatever, even though it's not a top down question, at the end of the day, right? You had to look at the argument. You had to decide whether the evidence proved the conclusion. And why it didn't that to me is like a top down assessment. So you're still doing that assessment, even in a non top down question. Did the conclusion follow from the premises? No. Why not? It's very, yeah, very evidence based, very explicit and literal. Mm -hmm. It's not about feelings. <laughs> it's about evidence and logic I've been spending a lot of time lately. I know I've brought her up a million times, but my good buddy, Nikki Black, she's an immigration attorney in Los Angeles mm. and she had, she's like a total baller works for a small firm. Um, that sometimes they're hiring by the way. Um, I usually retweet them if, if, uh, they are hiring days ad law firm in Los Angeles, but, uh, Nikki is she's an immigration lawyer who she didn't go into school giving any shits specifically about immigration law. She just ended up practicing immigration law. She's just a lawyer. She's one of those like I understood what lawyers work. do. <laughs> yeah. Yep. She just, she's like, I don't know what kind of law I want to practice. I just really like the practice of law. And so now she's a pretty successful immigration attorney in LA, mm -hmm. but it is 0% about feelings it is 100% about the record. It's only the evidence 
It's like we are building cases for people so that we can win, which is so much about documentation, paperwork, dotting I's, crossing T's, making sure that they're telling a consistent story, finding facts that 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 show this like clear progression. And she's just like, yeah, it is like the people who really care about it the most in a lot of cases might be the worst people to do it because they can't see how mathy it is. You know, like you think you're going to get somebody a green card because they deserve it, you know, or because of how passionately you feel about it. And that's just not how the whole game works. They're going to get it or not get it based on what's the law, what's the record, what types of filings can we make to, to essentially force the outcome that we want based on the record. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I just saw for the first time, I had not seen it before, A Few Good Men. Ah, that's been a long time. Yeah, and Tom Cruise's character says that at least three or four times in the movie. He's like, it doesn't matter what happened. What matters is what I can prove. Right. That's your point. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's... So the LSAT then, I mean, I, I think people... Students are missing an opportunity, really. Yeah. They should treat their LSAT prep as the beginning of their legal career. You're going to become a better lawyer by getting better at the LSAT. Oh, hands down. Hands down. I couldn't. You're just going to be a better thinker because you're getting better at the LSAT. Yep. It's, I think it's harmful for students who artificially decouple the LSAT from legal practice, right? Oh, this is just a hurdle I have to jump over has nothing to do with your success in law school or success as a lawyer. They're not. And it's like, yeah, I get it. The LSAT is not actually in law school, but (laughs) the logical skills, the ability to read very carefully, the ability to marshal evidence in favor of conclusions is super duper lawyerly. And so you can improve your LSAT score and also just get better at doing this kind of analysis. It's going to help you kick ass in law school and in legal practice. For sure. I couldn't agree more. It reminded me of when I was doing legal writing consulting. And sometimes when we were working with people who had been flagged by their partners or their firm or something for not being good writers, they would complain and say things like, Oh, I understand the law. And I, I know, what I need to do, but you know, they just don't like how I write or, you know, they say it's confusing, blah, blah, blah. That's just how they do things. It's idiosyncratic. And we're like, dude, you got to understand if you can't clearly explain it, it's because it's not clear in your head. Yeah. Like stop thinking that it makes sense to you, but then fail to articulate that clearly on paper. You have all the time in the world. Unlike the LSAT, this is not test timed. Just do it. But you don't understand it. Clear writing is a result of clear thinking. And doing well on the LSAT is a result of clear thinking. Can you clearly identify the premises, the conclusion? If those things are lost on you and you're not doing well on the test, that's a sign that you're not 
as prepared as some other students are for law. You got to take it seriously. You got to read every word. You got to really think about it. Put the pieces together. The questions make perfect sense, but your job is to make sense out of it. Yeah. That question that we just did, they were asking you, it's for a must be true, basically. You know, which one of these did it just say? Based on this evidence, which one of these can you prove? And that's what a lawyer would do, right? Which of these arguments am I going to make? Well, which one of them can I win? Okay. Here's what here we got. Here's a point. We can win this point. Yeah, let's do it. You've got to be able to identify that. If you go in and pick any of make any of those other arguments, you're going to get shut down. You're going to lose. You had an opportunity here to make a point. Literally. Well, in the LSAT, (laughs) right? (laughs) One of these points you're capable of making the other four. You're not capable of making. That's why you don't get a point for those. You get a point for the one you can justify in the record. Um, all right. You want to wrap it up there? Let's do it. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube at thinking LSAT and at LSAT demon. Thank you for subscribing by the way, to those YouTube channels. Both of them are growing. Um, we're putting out a shit ton of great content all the time at LSAT, uh, at thinking LSAT on YouTube has highlights from the podcast at LSAT demon on YouTube has highlights from all of our awesome classes in the LSAT demon. If you want to get anything onto the agenda for the show, it's help at thinkinglsat.com. If you want to ask us any questions about the LSAT demon, um, if you've qualified for a LSAC fee waiver and you want to get on our awesome fee waiver program, uh, that's help at lsatdemon.com to get hooked up there. That was episode 281 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school. Thank you.